you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. document, the possibility exists that there may have been an Oswald impersonator, someone who looked like Oswald and may have been working for the CIA. I was stunned myself when I saw it the first time. Uh, even though it says it's a possibility, it, it's, it's, it's one hell of a possibility that somebody could be impersonating the, uh, the man who's going to be the, uh, the shooter of the president six weeks later. But why would an Oswald imposter be in Mexico City? One intriguing possibility is that the imposter was working as part of a scheme to set up the real Oswald as the president's killer. Because the agency would have been forced to reveal its clandestine use of surveillance cameras to gather intelligence in Mexico, it chose instead to withhold this photograph as well as additional information it knew about Oswald. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the show. A couple things real quick before we get started and really jump into it. Um, a couple of announcements. One, I am now honored and privileged to be part of the Dark Mist Collective of Podcasts over at darkmist.org. That's Miss, M-Y-T-H-S, and I can't say it very well. Myths. Um, darkmyths.org. Uh it is a podcast family, and there you will find, if you like this show, countless dozens of other podcasts that are kind of cut from the same vein as this one. Um, you know, and I'm talking conspiracy, history, uh, true crime, um, myths, legends, the strange, the unusual, things of this nature. And, and just for example, you know, a couple I've been listening to lately, uh, one is Astonishing Legends. You know, they, they, they get into the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, uh, Knights of the Golden, Golden Circle, uh, the Oak Island Treasure Mystery. Um, and they really go in depth. They're entertaining to listen to and, and they really do their homework and, and bring you the best information possible. And I'm really enjoying that show. 
Um, another one I, I, I was listening to is uh, R- the Rumor Flies podcast. And these guys just started up. They're only like three episodes in, but man, they are they are good, and it is entertaining uh, to listen to as well as well as very informative. Uh, you know, one of their shows was about all about Disneyland and the myths and the legends surrounding it. Uh, another one uh, was all about food myths and legends. Um, so definitely check the, check those out. Um, and if you head over there, trust me, you're going to find something that you like. So. Please head over there and, 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 and check out the podcast lineup over at darkmyths.org. Okay. Uh, the other announcement I have is this show is sponsored by JFK Primary Sources and Will Hart. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate everybody's support out there. And, you know, I thought it'd be a good idea. You know, if, uh, if, if anybody out there wants to support the show, you know, and get a plug, um, you know, for a donation, whatever, however you want to do it, you know, get at me at the Lone Gummin Podcast at gmail.com. Get something back for your money. Um, so the website is primarysources.wix.com backslash home for all your research needs. Um, if you want to dive deeper into the case and you want to do it the right way and head for the primary source documents and you don't know where to look, head over to primary sources. Dot Wix, that's W-I-X, dot com backslash home. And there you will find links to just about every research resource available on the JFK assassination ever printed on the Internet. And I'm not joking. You, you will be amazed at what you, what you can find there. So thank you to JFK Primary Sources and Will Hart for sponsoring this show, show episode number 111, And without further ado, you know what? Let's jump right into it, people, because uh, I got a very special guest for you. So hang on to your seats. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast. This is episode 111. That's right, 111. There's 110 other episodes. This week, I just added a button to my website at tlgpodcast.com where you can subscribe on your Android device. You know, if you don't have iTunes or any Apple products, it's a one-click process. makes it real easy to subscribe. So check it out. It's a green button right near the top of the page. You can't miss it. And this week, it's a celebration. 50,000 listens to this show. It's a a milestone, a a momentous and stupendous milestone that I never, ever in my wildest dreams ever thought would happen. But here we are almost two years later after starting this podcast. And you know what? Here we are, you know, and it's awesome. So I thought that I would bring you a very, uh uh-oh, you guys hear that? That music can only mean one thing. My brother from another mother has joined me, the host of the Dallas Action. That's right, Mr. Doug Campbell is in the house. What's up, brother? I, I am in the house. Man, how cool is that? <laughs> Congratulations, Bob Clark. Congratulations, man. I, uh, I, did, I, I danced a little jig, brother, uh, you know, with you when you, uh, when you, when you, when you sent me a screenshot. Very cool. Very cool. Way to go. 
Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, you know, I had to send the minions out to Middle Tennessee to find you. You've been you've been away for a little yeah, while. Yeah, hard to find, man. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't hard to find. I was the, I was the, the long Mexican with a guitar, I think. Yeah, yeah, it didn't take too many uh, uh, of my mulleted friends to find you. Um, so, look. They're you, very thorough. Yeah. Look, you've been gone for a little while. You've been off the airwaves for four months. And I thought, who better than to celebrate my 50,000 listen episode with than my buddy who I started all this with, Mr. Doug Campbell. And I'm so man, glad you decided you so to come on the show, man. Yeah, I'm this is a kick. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I, uh, yeah, I've been I've been off the air. I've just been uh, um, busy. You know, rampant capitalism is my only excuse. But uh, you know, um, just because I haven't been broadcasting doesn't mean I haven't been listening to the Long Gun Podcast. I promise. And you know, I do, man. I comment I on that every do. week. I know. Nothing. I but, know. Uh, when you when you call me and ask me, you know, I, absolutely, man. Hell, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'd be jealous if you did any other way, dude. <laughs> no doubt, you know. And if I if I had a nickel, man, for everybody's, where's Doug at? When's Doug coming back? Where's Doug at? Where's Doug at? Well, guess what? He's right here on this show right now. And when you know he gets a break, some downtime, he'll start his show back up. I promise. Isn't that right? We're trying, man. We're trying. You know, it, it, it it's just uh, uh, there's only so many hours in a week. You know what I mean? And uh, to do it right. Um, you know, I, I I don't have the time to to give it the proper uh uh you know amount of work. I think right now because I think I would be just doing shows just to be doing them. Um, so rather than just do something substandard just to just to do it because I'm working about ten hours a day, seven days a week, man. So uh, uh, somewhere playing a guitar for something or somebody. So. But when I get time, I will. That doesn't mean I haven't been thinking about things. And uh, um, uh, your show definitely gives me plenty to think about. And I have thought about a few things while I'm in golf, or off the air anyway. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about some of it tonight. You know, this is not just going to be a party. Yeah. You know, we we are going to talk about it. <laughs> 50,000, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. It's Who'd crazy. Have thought it? You know, two years ago, well, I guess it'll be May, won't it, when we, when we cranked up. Yeah, we're damn close to it, brother. Yeah, almost two years. I, I think, uh, uh, I tell you what, uh, I think that's May 6th for me, um, for the Dallas action. So I, if you want to, if you would uh, do me the honor, how about we, instead of, I won't, I won't be able to do a 50,000 or a 111, <laughs> but let's do a two-year Dallas action and, 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 and uh, you come and talk to me on my thing. Hey, no problem. I'd be happy to. It's a yep. date. Because uh, it's always interesting to listen back to because we start on one thing and we end up who knows where. I know. I go, I go back and I listen to those episodes when we were at the conference and, and they are off the hook, man. Oh. <laughs> you know what that was, man? That was hyper-caffeinated and sleep-deprived because, you know, I tell that story to people all the time that they don't understand. We were up, you know, for the first time. And you know, man, you know, for two guys doing something like that, just kind of out of our backpacks. Oh, yeah. We were, you know, doing 20 and 22-hour days. By the time you took notes and we reviewed and, well, let's talk about this and let's talk about that. And, ah, shit, man, we never we never recorded 
an episode of mine or yours before 11.30 p.m., did we? No, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, and by the time we did, you know, it was – we were in rare form, you know. So if you want some good entertainment, go back in the archives and listen to if some you, of those early in – in, I think they were in the teens. I think it was episode it 17. Was, or well, actually, the, it was like the early 20s. Um, For you, I yeah. Think, I, I remember my Doug Horn interview was like 24 maybe. Um, But – if if you do, guys, if you do go back and listen to either one of those, they're like late September of, what, 2014? Yeah. Yeah. Drink up or else you'll miss a great radio program. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, That's man, definitely. I just, uh, it's not that, you know, I, had, I hadn't wanted to, goodness gracious, uh, I enjoy it. But, you know, sometimes uh, you just gotta, you just gotta do your thing, man, and be a rampant capitalist when, uh. You know, take care of business when the opportunity arises. You know that, man. I'm not telling you anything. You're one of the hardest working guys I know. You always work seven days a week, right? Yeah, I got two jobs, you know. Well, three if you count this one. So <laughs> this one doesn't pay yeah, very good, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, sometimes you just got to take care of business, Rob. Hell, life can't, life can't be all hookers and blow through 65, brother. I know. I, I, I just wanted to give all these people that keep asking me the answer straight from the horse's mouth. So to stop asking me, where's Doug? When's Doug coming back? Yeah. Blah 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 blah. So there you no, have no, it. No, 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 that's all. I would much now. As a matter of fact, um, I'm, I'm speaking through Rob publicly. So if you guys need to get any questions or just send them to Rob, don't send them to me. That's right. The Lone Gummin Podcast at Gmail dot com. <laughs> or feel. I tried to put them off on you. Don't ask me. Ask Rob. Yeah, or you can comment on the website on this I'll show. You know. Just joke, just joke. But yeah, I have had people asking. You know, I've had a couple of people get uh, troll-like about it. But you know, what are you gonna do? But block them. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Now, in your honor, sir, we're gonna have oh. a very special. Wait a minute. Let's <laughs> do take two. Uh -oh. <laughs> take two. It's very special. We're we're gonna have a very special ridiculousness of the week. That's right, ridiculousness of the week this week. Now this week on ridiculousness in research, okay, we have uh, a couple sound bites that we'd like to play for you, and then we're going to discuss them. Um, so let me cue up the first sound bite here, and. We'll we'll chat for a second. It's about twenty seconds long, so bear with us here. Here's the first one. Here we go. Now this is all from his wife, who's now dead, but from his grown children, three of whom I interviewed, all three of them, and from a investigative journalist named Fabrizio Calvi, who's a very respected investigative journalist in Europe who interviewed Wyatt before he died uh, at his retirement home in Lake Tahoe, who told him as he was leaving, you know, I've often wondered why Bill Harvey was in Dallas in November 63. Well, Calvi, this investigative journalist, knew enough about the Kennedy assassination to know that was an astounding thing, and so he asked him more about it. And apparently, Wyatt said uh, he was on a plane going from Rome to Dallas in November 63, and he sees his boss, Harvey, there, and he asked him, well, why are you going to Dallas, Bill? And he was very big, and he said, uh, well, I'm just going to look around or something like that. Wait. 
Okay, now you might be asking yourself, Robin Doug, why is this ridiculousness in research? Well, we're going to tell you because that clip presents a fact that is in David Talbot's new book, The Devil's Chessboard, that pins this stuff squarely on Harvey and Dulles, and it is simply not true. That little fact of Harvey being in Dallas rests on a very specific uh, incident that was told to his assistant, uh, Wyatt. Um, Doug, you want to talk a little bit about this uh, flight? Well, thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, I heard this uh, interview I, I right, right after it came out. I was driving into work one morning, and um, when I heard Mr. Talbot say, on a plane from Rome to Dallas, I immediately I found myself in an instant asking myself <laughs> a question. Was that even possible? Yeah, that's a long, long flight, dude. It's a long flight. And, you know, I kind of, uh, huh, kind of filed it away there because, um, you know, it kind of set my spider senses off. Like, what? And a couple of days later, uh, in, in a thread in the research, or, uh, excuse me, the JFK uh, group I helped administer on Facebook with, um, Mon Rigby and those guys, uh, it used to be called JFK Uncensored. Now it's called the JFK Conspiracy Critical Thought and Analysis. And, uh, and Mr. Larry Hancock is a participant over there. Um, he is a, he's a, he's a wonder to have in our group. We are blessed and, uh, honored that he participates with us in the grass research community, you know, pretty regular. It's pretty awesome. And the thread was discussing Talbot's book. And I think you were involved in that thread, too. I'm pretty I sure. Was, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I dropped the question in the comment section, just sort of to anybody, I guess. Has anyone ever looked into that? Has anyone ever looked to see if a transatlantic flight from Rome to Dallas was even possible in 1963. And I looked at there, and a couple hours later, um, I got, a, um, got an email from Mr. Larry Hancock. Now, I want to preface this by saying that back then, in December, I asked his permission, because, you know, you don't really want to say the wrong thing. You get somebody in the middle of something, kind of. You know what I mean, Rob, right? Right, right. Yeah, and I asked his permission then to post those facts, these facts I'm about to repeat, um, and, and tell people, you know, cite him, because he did do this research, and then he said, okay, so, you know, I'm sure it's okay now. So, But anyway, he got back to me a couple hours later, and he, he basically said uh, in a message that he gave me some facts and said, um, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you, but he looked into it. And... He said it took about 20 minutes on Google to find these facts. Now, we heard, and I think this is important to, uh, and the reason this bothers me, Rob, I think a little bit is because um, 
this is kind of the um, sort of the big revelation that people are hanging this book's hat on, this, this Harvey Plainfly thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we heard uh, we are. Can you play? Uh, can you play clip uh, number two again, again, real quick? Yep. Here okay, comes. Okay, play, play clip number two because this is important. Go ahead and play that one more time if you don't mind. Yep. Well, for the first time, this will be clip number two. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I tried to nail this down further by petitioning the CIA through the Freedom of Information Act for Bill Harvey's travel vouchers to prove that he was actually in Dallas and that he was flying from Rome to Dallas in November 63. He was flying from Rome to Dallas in November 63. So he was on a plane going from Rome to Dallas in November 63, and he sees his boss, Harvey. Okay. Yeah. Now, in the education forum, uh, back in December, even um, the, the reviewer, the book reviewer over at Sitka, Jim Eugenio, um, in the post, the, uh, it was a five biggest revelations in the book post. He writes that Bill Harvey was on a plane to Dallas in November for Italy. It's very important because what Mr. Hancock uh, laid on me that day about uh, <clears throat> transatlantic air travel in 1963 is pretty. It's pretty. Uh, Revelatory. Would you like to hear this, Rob? Yes, please lay it on me. <clears throat> this took 20... This is also important, guys. Excuse me for the cough. But this took in 20 minutes with a Google machine. Here we go. In 1963, the only direct international commercial flight either to or from Dallas, Texas was Mexico City. That's the only flight that either landed or left Dallas in 1963 to cross any sort of international border. The transatlantic, excuse me, I'm, I'm having that um, <laughs> Marie Lorenz thing you have. I don't know what, what's going on there. Liberty Lobby. No, okay, All right. <laughs> That's your Liberty Lobby. Okay, but number one, the only the only international flight, not even transatlantic or transoceanic. Right, just going directly from one Dallas, country to another. Exactly, was? Mexico City to Dallas. Mexico City to Dallas. Now, not only that, was it, now, was it possible? The transatlantic commercial airliner in use in 1963 with the longest range, that's very important, the longest range. Yeah, this doesn't mean that they were actually at, on this plane with the longest range either. So <laughs> That's exactly right. That's huge. That's, that's huge, too. Because it worked, you know, this was just the one that could go the furthest, right? right. Just saying that... Well, stretched, yeah. elongated Boeing 707-320 in 1963. It had a maximum range of 3,875 miles with the extra fuel tanks because of the elongated fuselage. The flight distance from Rome to Dallas is 5,607 miles, which means that uh, not only 
did a roam through Dallas flight not exist in 1963. Neither did an airliner capable of making such a flight. Yeah, you can't exist. get there from it's there. Yeah, you run out of fuel. Yeah, well, it wasn't even possible. And and somebody in a thread mentioned, well, well, there you go. <laughs> what? Well, hell, you know, Mexico City, David Atlee fell up. So obviously he flew to Mexico City and, you know, connected there and went to Dallas. Uh, no, Spanky, that's another 3,500 miles air flight time from Rome. Right. So <laughs> that's not possible either. But, you know, I asked people, uh, I don't know, people just, uh, they don't want to listen. Well, it's still possible. And the argument I get, the argument I get is, well, obviously it was a connecting flight. You know, that's what everybody thinks. That, you know, well, that, that obviously one guy said the plane left Rome and it went, he said New York, for example. Right. You know, and then, you know, a connecting flight from there. But you know what? That doesn't work either, Rob. It doesn't work at all. First of all, you know, the whole thing, I think the whole story is predicated on why it immediately knowing Bill Harvey's destination based on the ultimate destination of the aircraft. He was flying to Dallas from Rome. Therefore, Harvey must be. Because his first question was, Bill, why are you going to Dallas? Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Um, okay. Let's do this. But they're going to New York first. So. Yeah. Harvey yeah. could have been going anywhere from New York. He could have been going anywhere from New York. That is, like you say, anywhere because it's it's an international flight hub. Right. It's like a, a, a distribution point, you know, literally to all points global. Right. Now let me ask right. you this, Doug. If you were Bill Harvey... Okay, super secret CIA dude, you know, in charge of these international assassination squads and this and that. Would you reveal to your assistant when when your motto is trust no one, where you were ultimately going, <laughs> knowing what would happen in, in a couple of weeks? Dude, you're exactly right. You're exactly right because I mean, think about this. You're that's a hell of a good point because that's a hell of a good point, Rob. Because if you if you just like, like take the Kennedy assassination away from the entire scenario, okay, put it over here. Let's just say it's a normal, average, everyday, workaday thing, normal environment in this need to know, covert, clandestine, uh, compartmentalized world. If the guy, if, if Harvey was just flying, if he was going to D.C. to go to a staff meeting in their need-to-know world, he wouldn't tell Wyatt. No. He wouldn't no. tell him anything. No, of course not. And even if, look, the notion that, and, and there again, you know, Wyatt would have to have guessed correctly that, like, out of the blue, like pulling a city out of the blue, He's basically assuming just because he is taking a, a connecting flight from LaGuardia 
to Dallas. Why? There must be two. Yeah. Well, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate what I'm talking about, okay? Well, what, this is... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say one quick thing is you would think yes. that Bill Harvey's assistant would know better than to ask him where he's going if Harvey doesn't just come out and tell him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. That's another great point. He would he would never ask because Bill Harvey would probably tell him, you know, what the F do you care? You know, who are you reporting back to? <laughs> you know what I mean? The guy the guy would have been put on a watch list the moment he hit the ground. Hello? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, don't ask, don't tell, you know. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. But, see, like, you know, Harvey would, he would have to have even, even for it to get to that point, even for it to get to the point where Harvey commits this horribly egregious breach of tradecraft, which is what you're describing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, devolved. Why is yeah. you have known where he's going? And the, the the credibility of the story is predicated on the fact that Wyatt Wyatt got on the plane in Rome and knew where Harvey was going because that plane was going to Dallas. Well we are we know that's not true now, don't we? Right. Because there was no plane on the face of the planet that could do such a thing. Yeah, no direct flight so, to Dallas from Rome, period. Period. Now, here's here's what like let me explain what I mean. Okay, so Wyatt let's see, Wyatt gets on a plane in Rome and we're see, we're gonna stipulate to the connection flight, right? To we'll say LaGuardia. Right. Cool? Yeah. Okay. Wyatt's ultimate destination from Rome through LaGuardia is Dallas. That's where Wyatt's going. He, so he gets on a plane in Rome that's bound for LaGuardia. Yeah, New York. From there, like we said before, there's an infinite number of global destinations, ultimately. Now... Rob Clark gets on a Greyhound bus in Alexandria, Virginia. His ultimate destination is, say, Des Moines, Iowa. But that bus he's on has to stop in Indianapolis so he can catch a connecting bus to Des Moines. Right? Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, 10 other stops in between. And other stops in between. So... When Rob gets on the bus, he looks up, and to his surprise, he sees, uh, I don't know, our buddy Ted Rubenstein, let's say. What's up, Ted? Now, you get on this bus that's, that's bound from Alexandria to Indy. Right. The way Wyatt boarded a bus bound from, bound from Rome to New York, and you see Ted. Don't even think, Rob, what's the first question you ask him? I say, oh, Ted, are you going to Indiana, too? <laughs> or where are you going? Yeah, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Not, not why out of the literally hundreds of possible destinations all over North America by bus, it's quite obvious Ted's going to Des Moines because I am. Right. Oh, come on, man. You know, uh, 
It's, he, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He could he could be going to Cleveland, so, you know. Yeah. So never mind, never mind the fact. Never mind the nonstop flight. We've already blown that out of the water. Uh, play uh, play clip number uh, three again. All right. Here comes clip three. Okay. I tried to nail this down further by petitioning the CIA through the Freedom of Information Act for Bill Harvey's travel vouchers to prove that he was actually in Dallas and that he was flying from Rome to Dallas in November 63. He was flying from Rome to Dallas in November 63. So he was on a plane going from Rome to Dallas in November 63, and he sees his boss, Harvey. There's that one. Okay, let, let's put that to rest. No, he was not. No, he did not. That's categorically untrue. It's categorically impossible. But even if you stipulate to the connection flight, for me to believe the story, which even the author admits, by the way, is a third-hand story that he's hanging his book's hat on, even if, you know, I, I believe it, that there was a connecting flight, you have to ask me to believe is A, that Wyatt got on the plane and just correctly assumed, because his ultimate destination was Dallas, that Harvey's was too, and asked him that. Or B, that he had some amazing extrasensory perception, or maybe he was a voodoo priest and there's some chicken bones on the aisle of the plane, and they told him Harvey was going to Dallas. I don't know. Because right. there's no way he could have any idea that's where he's going. Yeah, and then, right. like, just say, and if by chance I get hit in the head hard enough to believe either I or me, then you've got to you've, you've got to make me believe that Harvey, like Rob so awesomely pointed out, would commit that sort of breach of tradecraft, even in a normal situation, much less when he was planning to murder the president of the United States. Yeah, and, it, and it's awfully damn odd too. You know, what, what did they just? Did they not tell each other, or you know, not tell each other that they were going somewhere and just happened to meet each other on this on this plane at the airport? You know, his his assistant. You well, know, it's or, like, and if their world was so compartmentalized, it was none of Wyatt's business where the hell Harvey might have been going on that alleged flight, and he damn well knew it, and he damn well knew better to ask. Right. You know. If, if you even according to the interview with Talbot there, um, allegedly Wyatt said that uh, they argued over, you know, he argued with uh, Harvey over hiring uh, Corsican assassins to kill people in Rome, and Harvey got so agitated he pulled a gun on him, and you know, it it just it smells of embellishment to me. Yeah, I and mean... then after the whole, you know, if you listen to the story, if you read the book. The way all this comes about is as the journalist is leaving and getting in his car, um, Wyatt allegedly, as he's turning away, makes the offhand comment, I always wondered why Bill was in Dallas in November of 63. And I couldn't help but think that that is a plot device. Right. The offhand comment 
that breaks the case open that's been used in crime dramas since Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories. Yeah. The offhand comment that breaks the case, I mean, you've heard it a thousand times. Uh, the, you know, they were using it in Philip Marlowe for crying out loud. Well, yeah, you ever I mean, watch Columbus? Rob? Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's something you you know you lead with that. You don't you don't just forget about it until the damn guys get in the car. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. But it's that you've seen it a million times, man. You know, Columbo. There's a guy found in an alley, and they find white confectionery sugar on his sleeve, and thirty minutes later, he's interviewing some old woman, and you know, she says. Um, well, I always wondered why I saw Vernon coming out of that bakery. And <laughs> she's turning away and Tolomo says, what was that, ma'am? And she says, well, he's a diabetic. And then, duh, 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 he's got his man. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's uh, I don't know. Uh, i tell you what, to quote um, NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver Chris Carter, come on, man. I know. You know, and that. What was it, hey? What was it uh, that Costner said to Pesci in Stone's film? I'm sorry, David, but I'm, I'm afraid I find your story simply not believable. Yeah. And that. Folks, and that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and I gotta say, and I'm not trying to beat up on the guy. I mean, I get, I'm not. It, it's just that you know, people, even when when presented with this, people they just want to believe it, and um, you know. It's 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 a it's a quote unquote revelation that they have propped that a lot of people, you know, including various, um, you know, literary reviewers in the field, have really taken used this to sort of prop it up, and you know, it um, it took twenty minutes of a really smart guy with a Google machine. Um, and then to, to, to dig up some facts in about another 20 minutes of some of just sitting down and, and applying critical thought to blow the straw house down. And, and you really didn't need a big bad wolf to do it. And my, my thing is, is people are really loving this book, but Rob, as little as it took to prove this third hand, what was already a third hand story to be, just simply not believable. As little as that took, doesn't it worry you that, you know, hey, well, well, maybe we need to take everything this guy writes with a grain of salt because if if two guys can spend forty minutes and sort of vet that information and go, okay, now this this is bad information. Um, did it not ever occur to David Talbot, or has it not occurred to some of these other people to go, hey, wait a minute, could a plane go that far in sixty three? Yeah, you know, because people do it all the time. You know, when they when they get a theory and they and they have the, they have it set. You know, oh, I'm going to write a book on this, and they find something that that supports their theory, and it's just too good to be true. You know, sometimes they they you know maybe he did the research and 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 figured I right, screw it, I'm going to put it in here anyway. You know, and let let people I figure it out on their own. But and my point is 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 that if it was you know. That easy for a guy, I, you know. I was uh, burning down the interstate in a convertible, dodging eighteen wheelers, listening to it, and 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 immediately the synapses fired in my brain, 
was that possible? Could a plane go that far in 63? Yeah. I, you know, I find it hard to believe it did not occur to David Talbot. Honestly, I yeah. find it hard to believe that that question didn't arise in his head. Exactly. I, I find it amazingly hard to believe. And um, if it did, he obviously uh, paid it no heed. Right. And that has, you know, in my mind, when you put an assertion like this Harvey on the plane from Rome to Dallas being on such a pedestal as sort of a centerpiece, then um, quite frankly, um, I have to question um, every assertion he makes from that point on. Right. That's just me, because I think the whole thing's ridiculousness. Yeah, and folks, that is your ridiculousness of the week. <laughs> yes, and, and That's you, us. Yep, and and you know it's yes. uh, hey, when we get to, when we get ten foot tall and bulletproof, don't we? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, you know. But hey, you know, you, we we got to point this stuff out because you know, this is where myths come to die, and research Boom, comes to there shine. You go. So, and you know, no the matter what, have come by over fifty thousand times. Yeah, yeah, and, and no matter what side of the fence you fall on, lone gunman or conspiracy, you know, we got to get rid of the of the crap, and you know. Like you said, this book has been lauded by all kinds of people and, you know, put on a pedestal as, as some great, you know, great evidence against Alan Dulles and the CIA and this and that. And look, we're not saying that Harvey couldn't have been involved in some way or another with oh, the no, assassination. Oh, no, no, no. And hopefully, oh, yeah, I don't want people to misunderstand because hopefully I think you and I were going to talk about some other stuff later. And, you know, don't misunderstand me about Harvey. I'm not... Uh, I'm not arguing against his innocence and by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. Um, this is just oh, about getting facts straight. Yeah, and it's about um, don't believe everything you read because or, or fact check everything you read. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rob. You, I've heard you say it more than anybody. Don't believe a damn word I say. Use your tools. Exactly. And you know what? That's what happened. That's what happened here. I just thought, you know, of course, you popped up. I reached out to somebody that is infinitely smarter than me, <laughs> um, as evidenced by how fast you got the information. So, yeah, but that's way it all. And you, I'll, you I'll, throw, I mean? I'll throw this out there too. You know, um, there's another, there's another supposedly really smart guy out there who uh, writes book reviews for. CTKA, and he reviewed this book, uh, you know, for Sitka, Jim DiGenio did, and I mean, he, <laughs> how can I put this without sounding vulgar? He slurped this book for, you know, hours, and any other book that he reviews, he tears into microscopic pieces and picks a, picks it apart, you know, like he's like he's picking through his food at dinner, and you know this book, especially that fact. I mean, he he didn't even address that fact in his review on Sitka. You know, you had to go on the Ed forum to find this comment. Yeah, okay. it was very quick, and and now and now people also need to understand that um, apart from you know what the author um, you know says in interviews and, and the claims he makes about flight from here to there that are impossible. 
in the footnotes to the book, in the footnotes, he states very clean, very clearly that it's a third-hand story. Right. You know, he did not get this from Wyatt. He did not get this from the journalist that interviewed Wyatt. He got this from Wyatt's kids. Right. You know, that's third-hand. And um, I'm weary of second-hand. Yeah. Very, very weary of second-hand, much less third And uh, like I said before, one would think that before one puts so much emphasis on one quote unquote revelation, especially if it's a a third hand story, and you know this um you know this for a fact that it's a third hand story, then uh, one would think the, the the intellectual discipline would be there would be more of it as far as vetting facts. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're trying yeah. to, you know, pin this on the CIA and, and Alan Dulles is, is this, you know, mastermind of the assassination, which happens to fall right in line with Eugenio's thinking and his book's conclusion and his way of thinking, you know, and and it, you see the contrast if you go read his review for the Devil's Chessboard, and then you go read his review for General Walker and the murder of JFK. Oh wow, wow, and you know. That that that's interesting that you bring that up because because I um <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, we we did not talk about this before. Wow, I read that recently, and you know what struck me about that was um, the assertion that by now a book or a theory or a hypothesis that goes against what the reviewer called the quote-unquote consensus view in the community. Yeah. Then, it, it, that then by, by this time, if you're not on board with a certain school of thought, what he called the consensus view, the Alan Dulles at the top of the pyramid, CIA conspiracy, um, garrison heavily Garrison-inspired. <laughs> and he makes the assertion in the review, and, and I can call it up here in a minute and read it, that, that it's a... That, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'd rather call it up and read it. Read it but it's, it's, it's... He's making the claim that it's a concerted sort of disinformation campaign. If, if that's not... You know, if you publicly decry what he calls the consensus view, and... What's scary to me about that is that it's kind of the same thing that we hear from the friend um, bunch, the uh, Fetzers and the, uh, you know, that whole bunch, the Sinkays and everything that you think. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing we hear from them, just dressed up different. Maybe, maybe, maybe with a nicer tie. You yeah. know, it's that if you don't believe what I'm telling you happened, then, you know, you're obviously either stupid or you're complicit. Right. And that's basically what it boils down to. And um, um, this book and his review of Caulfield's book um, is, is, is the perfect example of that. Yeah, it's a stark stark contrast in 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 uh in form. You know, I mean it's he he accuses Caulfield of all kinds of stuff that if you if I mean he says he read the book 
I read. I have the book. I've read the book. I think it's thoroughly well researched. You know, he had access to materials that nobody oh, ever had man. before, like Meltier's personal papers hey. and Walker's personal papers. Our, 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 our mutual friend and um, sometime guest of, of of the Dallas action, Garland Brown, who is a, a, a who is a political assassination scholar extraordinary. You know that. Um, he is, I think he's still cross-referencing and cross-checking stuff from that book with other things. And, um, um, so yeah, yeah, there's, I, you know, I had, uh, Caulfield on the show, uh, I think three times, um, before I had to, um, show it for a while. And, um, we, we never scratched the surface and <clears throat> this is a book, like you say, I'm, I'm going back and. I'm sort of reading in chunks and going back to a lot to absorb. You know, I find it odd that, that Caulfield was supposed to be on Black Op Radio last year uh, in November, and somehow it didn't happen. It got kiboshed. I'm wondering if I'm wondering now if the Eugenio didn't didn't get in his ear and, and kind of say, "Man, you can't have this guy on your show." You know, this, that, and the other. I mean, I don't know what happened or the backstory. Um, but you know, uh, he. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't speak to that. I, I, I don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm just saying it's there was so never I mean, there was never an ex- explanation for it. I mean, he was on the guest list that 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 Lynn put out, and then it, it just never happened. So, um, whatever the explanation is, it, it's. I mean, it's one of the biggest books of last year. The guy should have been all over Black Op Radio, and he wasn't. And then you get this skate, yeah, scathing um, review, you know. And I'm going to tell you what, um, I sound like Hank Hill there, didn't I? I'm going to tell you what. Um, (laughs) But um, he's a a hell of a good guy, too. Caulfield is. He he, he came on the the show a a couple of times, and and he really didn't want to, uh, uh, he didn't want to sort of do any press like that. He was kind of reluctant. I'm not going to say he didn't want to, but he was sort of reluctant because, uh, well, if you, I guess if you read, the uh, the circuit review of his book, you'll you'll see why he was reluctant. But um, um, a guy over at the Education Forum named uh, William O'Neill, um, who knew Dr. Coffee was nice enough to reach out, you know, and for me, and uh, we we spent, man, I, I bet for every two, you know forty five minutes we spent on the air, we spent another you know three hours just kind of riffing on the assassination. And he's a real good guy. He, he's a real nice guy, and I I didn't think he got a fair shake either, you know, but. You know, that's just me. But I'm also, you know, if you, you or anybody that's, uh, you know, ever listened to the uh, to the Dallas action much, uh, you know, I'm very suspicious of uh, General Walker. So I guess in that way, I'm, um, I'm a little uh, partial to his work. I guess in, in a little way, a little biased uh, in the way that uh, you know other people are to other things. I mean, that, you know, I'm only human, but um, but you know, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enough of that, you know, let's move on to some other things. Cause I wanted to talk to you too about what the hell was going on in Mexico city, because I wow. like, I like the way you're thinking down there about what was going on, this mole hunt. And, and let's get into a little bit of that, Doug. Um, well, that, that's not necessarily my thinking now. Right. Real, I know. Real, I know. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? I, but I just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm becoming more of a conspiracy minimalist nowadays. Um, you know, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever read, uh, if you're familiar, I know you are, Occam Glazer, you know, the problem-solving principle. Um, yeah, the normally solution. the simplest solution is the is the correct solution, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's other little uh, laws in there about, um, you know, when, when constructing a hypothesis, you know, always use what, what was called constructs of known entities. Right. Rather than imaginary con- constructs made up of known or partially, partially unknown or partially unknown. Um, yeah. Now, now, when it comes to Oswald even being in Mexico City, I'm I'm still on the fence about it. I mean, you know, you Dave, know what? David Joseph's done some great work, you know, kind of illustrating how he couldn't have possibly have been in Mexico City. Um, you know, he's seen other places. There's problems with all the evidence, you know, with the bus ride, the bus ticket, you know, every, there's problems with everything. But for the purpose of, of you know, today, we'll, we'll, we can acquiesce and say maybe he went, maybe he was there, you know maybe what? this stuff happened. You know what? I think he was in Dallas at Sylvia Odio's place with Bernardo de Torres and Angelo Morgado. Yeah. And he was also I mean, with that, the uh, Texas Employment Commission, too, there in, in uh, I believe he was seen there as well at the same time he was supposed to be in Mexico. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, but I think uh, I think that was him at Odeos, and I think he was there with De Torres. I, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I believe Morgado's story, or Angelo Kennedy Morgado, that he was Angelo and, and Bernardo De Torres was, was Leopoldo. There's just so much. This guy just comes into the story and leaves at such crucial times, just just twice. You know, if you don't count the Bay of Pigs, you know, look at um, look at the Garrison investigation. They tore it. You know, the dude, uh, he he shows up and volunteers, you know, to help Garrison. Hey, I know a lot of people in Miami. I can help you there. And David Ferry drops Eladio Del Valle's name to Garrison. So Garrison calls Betores and says, hey, find this guy, Del Valle. And then what happened next? Chop, chop, shot, shot. (laughs) The the freaking (laughs) guy got whacked. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he was uh, probably um, with, uh, you know, babysitting Oswald while somebody was impersonating him in Mexico City for the express purpose. I think it was as simple as it is. They knew that the wiretaps were in place and they wanted to get his voice and his photo or his voice, not photograph, his voice on those wiretaps. A hard audio copy of evidence tying him to the Cubans and the Soviets. Right. I think that was the whole purpose. Um, essentially, what I said, this is not like my thinking. Um, I I have I, I've been really studying my Peter Dale Scott and my Bill Simpich state secret, and that's fitting with Occam's Razor conspiracy minimalism. 
that is about the simplest explanation for Mexico City is this. Somebody used a super, super top secret Phillips operation in Mexico City in part to frame a super, super secret Angleton asset. Right. And, man, how, even if you're, you know, the CIA conspiracy, uh, you know, hard light, it doesn't matter what angle you're coming from, um, sort of, but in essence, that's what happened because the Mexico City wiretaps were the top secret operation. The wire, it was Peter Dale Scott and Bill Simmons both say it was, it was the most guarded intelligence secret in the Western Hemisphere. Right. And, and you, know, you know, when you say Angleton Asset, you know, we're talking about even going back to the defection, uh, you know. It, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, it, 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 and, and i tell you what, I, and i got to be honest with everybody, I'm not real bright. So um, even like two years ago, dude, I was having uh, Mr. Snippet on, who's another swell guy, and reading State Secret. And it's the kind of thing you kind of got to read over and over again to absorb because there's really not much conjecture in Bill Snippet's work. It's really because he links, number one, he doesn't sell his books, you know, and State Secret to me is probably in the top five most brilliant things written on the assassination since. Yeah. And, and oh, you, wow. you can read it for free on the Mary Farrell site right now. Yes, that's exactly right. The whole thing's for free and every document and every breadcrumb in the trail that he has in State Secret, you can click right there. And read the document. Yeah, and I'll put a link up to it over at the website for this show, so you can go read it yourself. And I highly recommend that you do. Yes, because that is some deep background analysis stuff. You know, I, I always love talking. I was talking to him uh, off the air one time, and he says he likes to just like get Newman's books, and you know, he'll get seven or eight and just open them around him and kick back and soak it in and think, think, think. You know what I mean? Uh, not yeah. talk and holler and race hell and call people stupid and uh, just ponder. Uh, he puts it for free, man. And and that thing. And what I was saying about the, about the, when you when you really just sort of break down what he's telling us there is that um, there could only have been a few people who a could have had knowledge of you know. Oswald, the CI SIG guy, like you say, you know, in, uh, in, in state secret, you know, the, the Mohan for Pobal, uh, you know. And what's important about that is you had to have known about that, but have knowledge of the wiretap operation in Mexico City also. Yeah, you got to put these to pieces together, up, yeah. Yeah, to set up an Angleton asset using. A Phillips operation, up. yeah. And other than Phillips, um, the, the the two best suspects for that seem to be Morales and Harvey. Morales and or Harvey. Yeah, Morales or Harvey, yeah. 
Now, let me tell you what I like about that. In the interest of conspiracy minimalism and shaving away and cutting away the fat, is that if you, if you put those two guys in the center of a hub, you know, um, you know, they're the hub of a wheel. And the spokes go to just the little pieces in the CIA part of the puzzle that have to be manipulated. You know, the Florida Gunboat Cowboys, Vidal, you know, Interpin, those yeah. guys. Um, knowledge of Oswald. Enough access to learn the deep truth about Oswald. And enough knowledge and access to know about the Mexico City wiretap operations. But if you, if you take all that stuff and you think minimalism, one of the minimum number of guys in the right place, if they were the right guy in, and if they were in the right place, could one or two guys manipulate all that? I think so. Yeah, it's definitely possible. For sure. I think so. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not ruling, sort I'm not ruling Phillips out, obviously. Um, you know, I'm, 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 there are some people that I think that are smarter than me um, that I bounce ideas off of who have, uh, you know, or or have been in the deep background longer than me that tell me, yeah, man, you gotta look at him. Um, So, but as far as Angleton goes, I, 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 man, that's the one, one of those guys I would have to let off the hook. You know, I mean, uh, Mr. Sipich kind of let Phillips off the hook too. Because, you know, you and I have talked about the whole thing about the panic that seems to have set in in Mexico City afterward, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost seems like he got caught with his pants down and was like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I really think that did. It's very possible that that could have happened to Angleton. And it all goes back to that he got caught with his pants down. That somebody set up his guy. You know, in Oswald, and you have to, you're right, you have to look back at the Popov Mohan. Um, he was the Russian colonel that was a spy for the CIA. And, um, well, they, they popped him, they arrested him, somebody ratted him out. And this was about the time that Oswald was going, it's literally like right that week. So, um, even what happens is they create, later on, they create this file on Oswald, but they make two of them in CIC. You know, I think I'm getting this right. Is that right? I, I... One of them, they, one of them they, put, they give Robert Webster, the other defector's description. physical description. Yeah, yeah. Right. Was it 510? How many, how many, what was the weight? 165. One, yeah, 165. And um, what was named Lee Henry Oswald? Yeah, one had the wrong name and one had the wrong description. Yep. Yep, and um, they also changed where in the in the little uh, you know the information it said you know went home to Fort Worth for three days to visit mother. Well, in the duplicate file it said went home to Waco. Yeah. So they changed that too. So they created essentially a guy that lived only, that existed only in CIC files, which was a guy named 
Lee Henry Oswald, who was high ten, one sixty five, and his mother lived in Waco. Right. And this was what we call what, Rob? A mole hunt. <laughs> the marked card. Yes, the marked card. That that way, anybody who would be surfacing with information about either one of these files, you know, could be more easily, I guess, tracked or, or you yep. know, identified. Right. When you plant bogus information right in the file, and then wherever it pops up. Well, it's a red flag. It's a marked card. Oh, there's my bogus information. Who has it? Who shouldn't have it? Exactly. Exactly. Now, here's why that's interesting. This is why this is probably the biggest thing that I got from State Secret um, that nobody ever talks about. You never hear anybody talking about this, and I think it's pretty damn profound. And that marked card was created in, was it 1960? Yeah, I think so. He'd already defected, yeah. Yeah. And it sat dormant in CI6 files. Until? Until November 22nd. <laughs> well, no, that's wrong. Excuse me, let me back up. <clears throat> until Mexico City. Right. When Mexico City started sending all this information... You know, they basically sent, you know, who the hell is Lee Harvey Oswald kind of thing, you know, to headquarters. Right. Angleton pulled the marked card, and he dealt the marked card three years later in October 63. In the aftermath of Mexico City, he did not disseminate Lee Harvey Oswald's true description. He disseminated Lee Henry Oswald, 51165, to the State Department, to the FBI, and to Mexico City Station. Angleton, this is very important, in the panic after Mexico City, Angleton pulled a three-year-old marked card and dealt it to three places. 14 minutes after shots fired in Dina Glass, 14 minutes after Michael's blew Kennedy's head off, the Dallas Police Department broadcast their Be on the Lookout All Points Bulletin for the Assassination Suspect. And the description was what, Rob? Uh, 165, 5'10, dark hair, white male, I believe. Angleton dealt the marked card in the aftermath of Mexico City when the red flags went up. Nobody played it until 14 minutes after John Kennedy is killed, and it was played by, by the Dallas <laughs> Police Department. That's where the marked card turned up. But didn't they get it from somebody else? I believe they got it from military intelligence, Rob. Army intelligence. Yes. And I'll tell you what, what else is interesting about that. And if people hear me harp and harp and harp on Army intelligence. But I think it's so important because these guys are everywhere. I mean, you got to think the pilot car. <laughs> the, okay. Number one, 
there are a lot of accusations and there are a lot of uh, speculation as to this is photographs, you know, Huey Plaza. Well, that's Howard Hunt, and that's Casey Barnes, and that's Gerald Hemming, and you know, the guy. I've even heard the guy in the apron uh, was Morales. Yeah, that's George Bush. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but oh God, George that's Bush. Those are my those are some of that Bravo Sierra going on in 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 my my little Facebook group today. <laughs> I'm not happy about mm-hmm. that. But anyway, holy. Um, Back to uh, 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 but yeah, what was I? Ta- what was I saying? I forgot. Lost my train of Military intelligence. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, about the CIA guys. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of speculation about that. But um, th- there's no like definitive, you know, undeniable proof that there's a CIA guy in anywhere in in, in Billy Plaza. It's all speculation. But you know, military intelligence is everywhere. You know, people. They, the, the, the pilot car, which was the very first car in line of the motorcade, was driven by um, Deputy Chief, Deputy Police Chief Lumpkin, mm-hmm. and Colonel George Wittemeyer was his passenger. Well, they were the district co-commanders of the 488 Army Intelligence Reserve in Dallas. That's right. The district co-commanders. They had between, they had over 100 men in their, under their command in Army Intelligence in Dallas at any given time. And between 40 and 60 of them were active duty Dallas police personnel. Yep, former military. Now, you can speculate all you want that the CIA infiltrated DPD, but there are between 40 and 60 active duty Army Intelligence agents that are cops. Now, who's infiltrated Dallas police? Really? Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, I don't know. I, you know, and, and people say, oh, you're giving the CIA a pass. No, I'm not. I'm giving Angleton a pass. I think somebody, oh, somebody snookered him bad. You know, somebody snookered him bad. Um, and I think his mole hunt, whether we know it or not, it probably worked. <laughs> the yeah. Mexico City mole. And, you know, I'm a firm believer anymore that the murder plot and the cover-up are two completely separate phenomena, you know? Um, and I, yet I, I've come around to that just, just because of the minimalism, you know, that it was two separate things. And I think that the Mohawk probably worked and they probably figured out just who in the hell did do it. And that bombshell served to hasten the cover-up. Right. Cover your ass, you mode. Know? Yeah, at that point. Yeah. Because, you know, Peter Dale Scott makes a hell of a good case that every bit of the lies and the obfuscation and the covering up that the Central Intelligence Agency has done for 53 years is not necessarily because they did it, but it's because of the embarrassment of how it was done to them. And, you know, uh, his work with the CIA covert up, the, um, what is it, L.I. Envoy? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, if you get everybody can go over to uh, Russ Baker's website. It, this is a great new website too, Rob. I, I know you're aware. Who what why dot org. Yes. Uh, yes, it's excellent, excellent. Um, I, he hasn't. I don't know how long he's had it up. Uh, like a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, not not long. A couple of years, yeah. Yeah, but I'm 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 pretty impressed. He's been doing uh, you know anthologies of Peter Dale Scott's work, and he you know there was an article there uh, like a three or four parter, uh, and I know I'm 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 going to butcher the title, but you guys can probably find it. It's it's basically um why Richard Helms lied, you know about um uh, about Mexico City and about the assassination that it was because of the sensitivity of the operations that would have been exposed had a true and thorough investigation been done, that you know you would have had people with pitchforks and torches marching on Langley yeah. because they were complicit. But just because of everything that would have come to the surface had a thorough investigation been done, it would have been heads rolling. That basically, and this is this is what I think. I, I think that, that, that the murder plotters, um, Cuba was the prize. Um, I think the frame-up on Lee Harvey Oswald was designed uh, to portray him as, of course, a, a communist, you know, ex-defector, socialist, Castro and Soviet sponsored slash affiliated assassin. Right. And I think that he was meant to die in Dallas while being apprehended. That's right. And that didn't work out. See JD Tip, you know? Right. Yeah, I just talked about that last week a little bit. Yes, sir, you did. And that was an excellent uh, number one ten, if I do say so, sir. Well, thank you. But yeah, and, and that Oswald was meant to die. And if you if you look at the frame up, you know, the pre arrest, the frame up leading all the way up to the Dallas Police Department broadcasting the marked card description. I mean, don't you think if James Angleton were involved, he would want the Patsy captured as quickly and as soon as possible? Well yeah, well don't you think he'd make sure that there was a correct description? Well, yeah. Wouldn't that help catch him a little more, a little better? Wasn't his deathbed quote that oh, a mansion God, has many rooms? Oswald. Yeah, that's what that's what the that's the Zang clarity moment as far as the uh, the marked card goes, because you realize that the people that set him up wanted him to be caught as fast as possible. After all, they framed him. But when they gave Dallas Police Department the description to help facilitate his quick capture and murder as right. part of the frame-up, they gave him the wrong description. Yeah, because and then Johnson wouldn't have had a choice. He would have had to. He would have had to uh, do something about Cuba, you know. But exactly, exactly. The but narrative changed. I think it changed them. Everything turned on a dime the moment he got captured alive. Yep. Because if he's dead in that theater, then the FBI 
and the CIA and probably ONI. Well, maybe not them. Maybe they were, I don't know. But at least the CIA and the FBI were absolutely frozen, blackmailed, hands tied. There's nothing they could do but let the guy die, a Castro-Soviet-affiliated assassin. Yep. But he lived. They had time to set up his murder. And, dude, you, you've talked about the Mauser stuff a lot on your on your show, and that's just indicative of how how quickly things changed, you know, once he was caught, captured alive, and how the Cuba stuff went out the window. And <clears throat> here's my point. You know, you're always told the famous story about how the cover-up started and how Alan Dulles walked into a meeting of the Warren Commission and he had, for everybody there, he had a copy of a book whose basic premise and argument was that all political assassins are nuts, right? Yeah, yeah. If Alan Dulles was the mastermind of the assassination and the frame-up on Lee Harvey Oswald, why would Alan Dulles why would they go through months and months and months of machinations? They moved heaven, the murder plotters, the guys that framed Oswald, moved heaven and earth to frame him as a Castro-slash-Cuba-slash-Soviet assassin, right? Yeah. They moved heaven and earth. So then why would Alan Dulles walk in to the cover-up if he's the mastermind? and immediately portray Oswald as the exact opposite of what the frame-up was meant to portray him as. Yeah, and that's an excellent, excellent point. You know, he would have been pushing, you know, the, the whole Soviet, uh, you know, Castro angle. He would, you know, right. if because if, if, that, that was, you know, that would have been their motive. You know, the Kennedy didn't have the balls to do anything about these communists in Cuba, and he was buddying up with the Soviets, and you know they didn't want that. They couldn't have that, and you know they couldn't have this country sixty miles off of our shore with nuclear weapons pointed at us that can reach D.C. And Kennedy wasn't going to do anything about it. So, you know what? Nope. They tried to force his hand, I, and it didn't. You know, it, it, it's the narrative changed. It, he had to go. He had to go, and. If if you look at it like that, you know, if you look at it like, okay, from at the very least, April 12th of 1963, the day somebody put a bullet through Walker's wall, and, and you know, obviously before that, because they had to at least set that up, these people, and I'll say it again, moved, excuse me, Heaven and Earth to portray Lee Harvey Oswald as a Castro and Soviet-backed assassin. And then immediately after Kennedy's murder, they turned right around and moved Heaven and Earth again the other way to portray him as the exact opposite. If Alan Dulles was indeed the mastermind of both the murder plot, the, or excuse me, all three, the murder plot, the frame-up, and the cover-up, why would he do this? The answer is he would not. And if the people who did sanction John Kennedy's life, ultimately, if they're the people that I think they are, 
And those are uh, some uh, just a handful of very powerful guys in the Pentagon. Um, mainly the military joint chiefs of staff. Um, whom at this point in my thinking, in my opinion, set the whole thing in motion. If you read Doug Horn's excellent, excellent work, and I encourage everybody to go find it because it too is free online. Seven part essay, JFK's war with the national security state. And I know you are very familiar, Rob. Yes, sir. You know, people, and some people, um, including um, the guy we talked about in the first part of the show, will tell you that um, when you ask him that question, that we were just asking, well, you know, the Mexico City threat, Lyndon Johnson, Earl Warren, 40 million dead. Uh, you got to help us cover this up. <laughs> uh, Lone Nut, uh, 40 million will die. That's about as far as they go with it. They don't. They won't explain it any deeper. And it's and like I say, if you look at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Curtis LeMay being chief among them, and people like Lynn Nitzer, um, they desired a nuclear exchange. They tried was it six, seven times to yeah. to try to get Kennedy to launch offensively. You know, they and wanted not, not just against Cuba either. They wanted it against China. They wanted it against. Uh, oh yeah. Russia? I mean, you name it. They, uh, that's, you're exactly right. The one, uh, the one meeting uh, where LeMay walked in and said, look, here's what we do. Uh, we just throw everything we've got at Russia and China all at once. 30 years, 40 years, you know, maybe somebody could go over there and plant a tree. I don't know, you know. Um, but that's the, the meeting that Kennedy walked out of, and with it, uh, Dean Rostow, he said, and we call ourselves the human race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. wanted a nuclear exchange. So well, they, 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 they won. They won. They, they got their war against the yeah. communists in Vietnam. Yep. But, a long, you know, drawn out, a, yeah. If, if, if Dulles and LBJ and Hoover... All these guys in Washington got together, and the lone nut was about avoiding the nuclear war if it looks like Oswald was Castro-Soviet-backed. If those guys in the Pentagon were ultimately responsible for setting the hit in motion, then it's easy if you, if you look at it like that and you consider the fact that these guys didn't care if we had a nuclear war. They were fine with it. Then you really start to see the cover-up for what it potentially probably was that I think a much simpler way to put it than the way um, Professor Peter Dale Scott or Mr. Bill Savage puts it, you know, to simplify it, when you look at it like that, if the guys in the Pentagon set it in motion, they framed a CIA asset as a Soviet assassin. It's brilliant. Brilliant. And because they didn't, they didn't mind the nuclear war. LBJ and Dulles and all of them are using that excuse to long notify him instead of castroize him. Then you can truly see the cover up as an end run around the murder plotters. Yeah, and I mean, eventually, you know, cooler heads prevailed, and, and you know, I I know these. Uh, these generals had no problem, you know. They were they were eager to nuke stuff, but you know, you know what happens when you nuke a country? You know, it used to be you, you nuke the shit out of them, and then 
well, then you're going to make your money back by helping to rebuild them, you know, and charge them for this. But if you have a long, yeah, if you have a long drawn out ground war that's not ended in a day with a nuclear bomb, and you can stretch it for ten, fifteen years, you know, hello, which has been the game plan ever since Vietnam. Look, look what happened with yeah. Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, we're still over there. You know, it's, fifteen it's, years hey, later, I'm going to burn your house down, and then you're going to pay me to build you another one. Yeah. You know, um, what, what's that old thing, you know, take take what we're offering, you know, in peace or accept it by force. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's the way things go, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's all military driven. It's it's all military driven. And, you know, when you, when you look at it like that, when, when you consider the fact that if Oswald dies, nobody in Washington, D.C. has any time to spin him any other way. It's carved in stone, baby. Yeah, it's and, carved in stone. Yeah. But they had the opportunity to kick the DC lone nut spin machine in immediately after he was taken into custody. Well, not immediately after, but the day after. You know, the morning after. Because after they all got back to Washington and said, okay, what the hell just happened here? You know. Yeah. And that, I think that's when people like Hoover and Dulles and, and, and LBJ and certainly Helms, you know, and, and probably even, you know, maybe even Robert Kennedy, you know, if you, uh, if, if you um, um, take into account what Joe, you know, the, the, the Joe Mellon's research as to what he knew, you know, that, um, um, well, like we were talking about before, the Angelo Morgano story, you know, he confessed to being, um, Angelo to Dick Torres's uh, Leopoldo, and he said that he claimed that Robert Kennedy was absolutely aware of who Lee Harvey Oswald was when he was in New Orleans. Yeah. And this is a guy with a photograph of both Kennedys above his bed who changed his name to Kennedy because he loved Robert Kennedy so much. <laughs> Openly stating that I told him about Oswald when he was in New Orleans. Yeah, and by the way, you can go back and listen to Doug's interview with Joan Millen about this very subject. It's, it's in his archives, and I highly recommend you do so. Why, thank you, sir. I had forgotten all about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and that um, he, he said to Robert Kennedy, well, you know, he told him what Oswald was doing down there with the fair play for Cuba stuff and all this. Because Kennedy had, RFK had sent him down there you know, to kind of check on the uh, exile community. And, uh, you know, what, what, when he told uh, RFK, RFK said, and this is a quote from uh, Margato, well, if he's Hoover's man, he's no threat. So if that's true, and again, you know, it's like um, the whole uh, Harvey thing we were talking about earlier. There's, there's no way to substantiate that, but it is a secondhand story. Um, this is a man who we know knew RFK well and was a friend of his. I would say his credibility is much, 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 much better than a third-hand story from two guys that have been dead for 15 years, you know? Um, oh, yeah. So if you take his story into account, well, you know, RFK, uh, like Joe Mellon theorizes, has had his own personal reasons for, um, you know, maybe uh, loan nutterizing our pal Oswald. So, 
So um, the DC spin machine had time to kick in. They've had they've had 53 years to cover up the truth because Oswald gave them 48 hours. Yeah, they've had 53 years because they had 48 hours between his arrest and Jack Ruby. And that's a good. And they, you know what? That's a hell of a good way to put it, actually. Yeah. The cover-ups had 53 years because they had 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a damn good name for this show, because they had 48 hours. <laughs> you know, it kind of encapsulates everything. I, I think I'm down. I now think me, I'm down. Let me throw some wild, crazy speculation at you for a second, okay? Man, this is my, this is my favorite part, dude. And, 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 and everybody needs to know... Not all of the reason that Rob and I were sleep deprived in D.C. was because we were working all the time. A lot of it was, you know, freaking getting up at six thirty and then staying up to four thirty doing exactly this. Yeah, wild speculation. Wild. And I'm a smoker, guys. And poor Rob, he probably lost fifteen pounds that weekend because he's not a smoker. And we're hanging out in the hotel and we're talking in the room, and I'd have to go down to smoke, and he'd have to come with me, you know. So we keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> we wore, we wore that one elevator out, didn't we, bro? I was down oh, yeah. there like quite long, probably. Yeah, we ran that some bitch to death. Oh, dude, and it don't even get me started on. I, I swear to God, we bought eighteen chicken wings, a large order of fries, <laughs> and a pitcher of sweet tea. Spent seventy eight thousand dollars. <laughs> it's definitely close to that. My God. Yeah, Okay, I'm sorry. Speculate away, son. I'm ready. We should we should have left Tatro holding the bill that night. <laughs> hey man, it was some bitch. Week number one. That was uh, uh, after the the confrontation that him and I had, um, you know, earlier that night over over Madeline Brown. That was very cool, you know, just just because like the waitress had to come over and tell us to leave five times. We're closed, yeah. you know. That, that was pretty neat. Yeah, we'll leave when we're fucking ready, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just got here, bitch. <laughs> All right, so let's go into wild speculation land here. Jesus, this guy's 75. He's still awake. Man, it could be the girl. Yeah. I know. All right. <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned about Oswald being framed, you know, to be this Castro-loving, you know, commie, you know, whatever, Russia lover. And... A good example of this, no better example of this, is what exactly he was doing in New Orleans. Most likely yep. for Guy Bannister, who yep. we can prove was doing these very same programs, you know, where he yep. was outing Reds um, and reporting back to whoever he was reporting to. Now, of course, Guy Bannister's if, former if, FBI. It yeah. works like what you're talking about. Like Oswald, you know, there's a there's a there's an address, you know, drop a postcard for flyers or schedule or literature. Right. If anybody actually does, they go on a watch list and a file for Bannister as a as a possible subversive, right? Right. You know, and he was running these same programs at colleges where he would hand out flyers for meetings. People show up, they got to sign in, and guess what? You're 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 now on a list. Okay. Um. You know, Too bad for you. I wonder how many I'm on. Oh, I'm sure we're on plenty. Um, and hey, look. hey, 
Hey, government, if you're listening, hashtag GFY, sign Doug and Rob. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rob. Well, I think somebody might have been listening because uh, some pertinent information went missing earlier today that we needed for this show, unexplained. Uh, now, very- that was crazy. Yeah. That was, <laughs> dude, what the hell, man? I don't know. We, uh... It's like Rob says, we had planned to use some info for this show, and Monday it was available on the Internet. And um, when Rob went to retrieve it for his own purposes, for our outlining the episode, so we would kind of be on the same page, it was gone. <laughs> it just nowhere yeah. to be found. Luckily, I downloaded it, so we made that work. Yes. Um, that was crazy. I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, so basically, you know, Somebody in in either the CIA or or for the FBI were running this program via Bannister, whoever he was reporting back to this information. Um, you know, it, this it it, it kind of screams of a, I guess a long distance Angleton, you know, kind of program, or it you know it 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 even fits in with what the FBI was doing, you know. Um, at the time, but either way, you have Guy Bannister, who of course is former FBI. He has ties to the CIA, um, and is a very vehement right winger. You know, with ties to the Minutemen and John Birch Society. A lot of these guys, Leander Perez, uh, judges. You know, all these very important, high-ranking people that are extreme right wingers. General Walker. Miltier, all these guys, you can tie them together. And the evidence is in the book, you know, General yep. Walker and the murder of JFK. The, 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 the Constitution Party Convention in late October of 1963, you can put Bannister, Miltier, Joseph Gale, uh, Robert Morris, Robert Morris, Stanley Brennan. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Brennan, uh, Robert K. Brown, yep. it would not surprise me in the least if you found an, in, an interpen member or two um, yeah. swimming around in that, uh, in that cesspool also. And i tell you another thing. I would be very, very, very surprised if Joel Warbell III were not there also. Quite possible. Quite uh-huh. possible. You know, so you have all these guys knowing each other, being associates of each other, meeting with each other. Um, you know, as we know now, General Walker was actually meeting with Leander Perez behind closed doors for four hours in New Orleans on November 22nd, 1963. Yes, um, sir. Now, General Walker is, of course, a former major general, okay? And you spoke a little bit ago of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who are also star generals. Um, they would have been very familiar with General Walker's position and 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 the kind of plight that he was in, the things that Kennedy that the Kennedys had done to him. Um, As a matter of fact, Limitzer was uh, Walker was a, a kind of a protege of Lyman Limitzer's, and when Walker got into all that trouble for his Code Blue indoctrination program, and they busted him down and tried to send him to Hawaii. Well, Kennedy, because Lindner was such a hawk and hard to deal with, Kennedy busted Lindner down and gave him Walker's old command in Munich, Germany. 
So yeah. now he's he's busted down off the joint cheese. LeMay is not happy about that. Walker is, as far as these guys are concerned, drummed out of the army by the Kennedys. Right. Let, let's let's not even let's not even get into what they did to him. You know, uh, in the in the winter of '62. Yeah. Throwing him naked into a middle asylum, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, and now Lemnitzer has Walker's old command, and they're both really pissed off at the Kennedys because Lemnitzer is now not a joint chief of staff. You don't think these guys uh, communicated? Yeah, I'm sure they did. You know, and, and I talked a little bit yeah. in my last episode about buffers. You know, you you kind of want a buffer in between you and what you're what you're trying to accomplish, you know. So if we have say motivation to remove Kennedy, it it would have likely come from these you know joint chiefs of staff, okay? They would have wanted yeah. a buffer, you know, somebody who thought like them, but maybe even more so, you know, had more hatred oh, yeah. for for Kennedy than they did and who had would have had the means to get this done, um, would have had the motivation to get this thing done, and who himself could create buffers, you know, in between things. And if Bannister was talking, you know, to Walker and said, you know, look, I got the perfect, the perfect guy. You know, he's not affiliated with the John Birch Society in any way. He's actually, you know, doing this undercover work, posing as a communist, posing as a Castro lover. He would make the perfect person to pin this shit on. You know what I mean? And the plot develops from there. You know, you can kind of see the compartmentalization as you work your way down. You know what I'm saying? You can't. You can't. And and you know, it, it's it, it, it very easily. And what you're describing is to me and. Uh, Think about it like this, and I—it's—you're I, right in, dude. Me and you are right on the same page. I've talked to this. I think I've, I've discussed this on the Dallas action. That um, you got to look at the hierarchy. Look at it like um, like a construction site being built, right? You have at the top of the pyramid the owners, right? These are the people that have decided we want to have this building built. Right? So what they do, they will they will hire a contractor. Right. Right? Now, this contractor will have what's called, un, uh, under them, you know, and we'll call the owners the contractors, right? They're going to build this building. This is, and then for our analogy, it's the Joint Chiefs. Now, what they have under them is what's called project managers. Those are the guys that, you know, are in the trailer with the plans. They're responsible for building it under budget ahead of time. <clears throat> they liaise with the owners, right? Right. Under them, under the superintendent, you have the, the foreman. They, act, they run the actual work crews, you know. So if you look at it like that, you can see the Joint Chiefs, and on the Dallas side, Walker is superintendent, and then Foreman on the ground running crews. And if anybody thinks that General Edmund Walker 
was not capable of commanding troops who believed in the cause in the <laughs> field, they need to look up General Walker's combat history in the Korean War. Yep. This dude, his outfit, I can't remember how many they lost, but they started at one spot, um, and I got the info somewhere, but they started at like one parallel and literally spent like 18 months fighting their way around the country to end up back to the same spot. You know, this guy was a hardened, hardened, shrewd combat veteran, commander of men, leader of men, leader of military or paramilitary men. Yeah, or citizens. I mean, you look, look at Mississippi, you know. I mean, he's... He... Now, let me... You, we're, we're just wildly speculating, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's what I like about where you're going with this, because it plays right into my thinking lately as far as conspiracy minimalism and how many... How, how few... What's the minimum number of, quote-unquote, the right guy that you would need in, quote-unquote, the right places to move things around in the plot. And obviously, to me, on the CIA side, like we, like, like we said before, it's David Morales and or Bill Harvey. Now, think about this. Here's what uh, we're talking about, Army intelligence, right? Yeah. All the Army intelligence in Dallas. Edwin Walker, all the Army intelligence in Bibi Plaza. Um, if you or I were to sit here, anybody, speculate, or not speculate, but definitively state where another human being's ultimate loyalty lies, whoever it is, you know, deep in your heart, deep in your soul, It, it, but that's a ridiculous thing. If you can tell me definitively, you know where another human being's loyalty lies at its core. And what I'm saying is before you dismiss it, remember that. Remember right. that, because I'm talking to everybody else. Because what, what, what people need to remember, now we're talking about, say, somebody in the Pentagon through Army Intelligence recruiting Walker, right? Because he's got me, the, the, the motive. And the skill. Yeah, I'm sure they knew of his associations with these extreme right-wingers. They knew these guys yep. posed a credible threat to Kennedy. You know, it's, it's substantiated. They would have known about this threat to Kennedy from these right-wingers. You know what I mean? Exactly. And if we're speculating now, remembering that some will stand up and go, ah, oh, pish posh, he would never be loyal to them. I'm sorry, you have no way of knowing that. But you got to look at David Morales, all right? What, and remember about David Morales, that for 11 years, I believe, either 7 or 11 years, either 7 or 11 years, for 7 or 11 years before he was CIA, David Morales was a United States Army Intelligence. Yep. That is a fact. For that many years, 
before he was ever affiliated with the Central Intelligence Agency, he was an active duty Army Intelligence Agent. Could that guy alone move the puzzle pieces on the CIA side of of setting everything up? If you're if you're doing minimalism, absolutely. Can we 100% state that if someone that he previously had served with in Army Intelligence that he respected came to him and recruited him hmm. and played off his old loyalties to Army Intelligence? We cannot definitively state that that didn't happen. It's possible. And I say that in the spirit of speculation, but um, I can totally see that, where... You've got Major General Edwin Walker, Kennedy hater in Dallas, right? Yeah. And in Florida, on the CIA side, running that part of it, and possibly with David Atley Phillips, and possibly along with Harvey, perhaps he recruited them after he was recruited by State Army Intelligence. But he would be that guy. You got Walker handling the right wing aspect of it. That would that would explain the cross pollination between, say, Walker and Philippe Vidal Santiago and David Morales and Colonel William Bishop. Yeah, I mean you know? in in reality though, I mean in, in in a given scenario, you wouldn't even need Harvey or Morales involved whatsoever. I think you would definitely to, to, to move the internal deep chess pieces in CIA like like, get the Oswald file information to know, especially to, to have knowledge of the Mexico City wiretap operation. I think you have to have one guy there. I, but, but that's just my opinion. Because, and I think that's, that's predicated, that's simply because they, whoever did it knew that if he walked in there, that he would be, that he would be recorded by a CIA microphone. And it was such a closely guarded secret that someone would almost, you would almost have to know it was there and go, hey, we can do this. And remember, and it's in state secret, that Harvey specifically asked for Morales to be transferred to J.M. Wave from Mexico City. That's how yeah. uh, Morales ended up in Miami. He would also have the knowledge of, like, the deep, 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 black, black, black operators, the entertain guys, you know, people like Santiago and Hargraves and um, that kind of thing, with no, um, you know, and Hall, and, 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 and certainly Lawrence yeah. Howard. The guys they used as buffers, you know. Yep, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right, and I think... Um, I've said before, and man, I'll probably say it again a thousand times. You know, I really, I really don't have very many, like, concrete. I'm ready to plant my flag convictions. I mean, I really don't. I'm just, I'm not real bright. I'm just trying to figure this stuff out for my own satisfaction. But um, two of those very few convic- convictions would absolutely have to be that Felipe Vidal Santiago is guilty, and so does Buddy Hargraves. And I, there, there's a, I, can, I don't want to repeat his name because I don't have permission to do that, but um, over the past couple of years, I've been in contact with a, with a guy, um, 
nice gentleman who doesn't live in this country and has, um, I probably shouldn't even say this because I have no way to substantiate it because I can't really tell anybody, you know, you can believe it or not. I'm just, this is, this is what I'm told. Okay. Take it or leave it. Is that, um, as far as Santiago goes, um, that raid, Felipe Al Santiago, um, a dark-complected man for, for everybody that, you know, doesn't know I'm referring to, that, that the three Cubans that were captured with him on that raid and killed were the three Cubans from Chicago, is what I am told. And when, and when I say that, I mean that this guy has proven to me, to my own satisfaction, that he knew, conversed, and interviewed um, deeply some some of these guys, the Gunboat Cowboys, and some of their extended family and some friends. He um, doesn't publicize it, but um, he's kind of proven that to me, to my satisfaction, and you guys can take it or leave it, but he tells me that. And um, one day, you know, talking about Walker, I don't even know if I told you this, Rob, um, this gentleman, we were having a message exchange. I was picking his brain a little bit about the Cowboys. And something just popped into my head, right? <laughs> I sent him a message. I said, hey, I said, um, Santiago and Hargraves planted that damn bullet in Walker's wall, didn't they? <laughs> and the message I got back was, uh, from what I'm told, they certainly did. Hmm. Good job. It's, it's the way the message read, you know? And um, I can thoroughly believe that because we know that Santiago and Hargraves were in Dallas in April. You know, the uh, there's a good there's some good circumstantial evidence that that white '57 Chevy that was in the photograph of Walker's place that Oswald had with the uh, license plate cut out. Um, it, I guess it was at Ruth Payne's place uh, in a book or something. Yep. Um, that Philippe Vidal Santiago's brother-in-law owned a white 1957 Chevy, and that was probably his car that Vidal had borrowed hmm. to take to Dallas because he couldn't drive his own cars because he was in a he was under federal order not to leave Miami-Dade County. He, he was he was confined, you know. He was pulling off these 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 Cuba raids that were not sponsored by the Central Intelligence Agency and not government sanctioned. And they, you know, they finally clamped that on his ass and said, that, you know, we'll, we'll put you in prison if you leave Miami. So he would borrow vehicles to go to uh, Texas and go out west and raise money for these raids. And he was quite familiar with General Walker. He was quite familiar with Morris and the West Coast guys that you bring up all the time. Yep, Drennan um, and all those guys out there. And Robert Morris and, and that whole bunch. They loved him because... Um, Santiago was, 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 oh, wow, man, what an intense guy this guy seems to have been. He used to be Castro, the chief of Castro's Coast Guard, you know, um, defected, ran all these raids, and the CIA did not like Felipe Vidal Santiago, and he did not like them. And as far as I'm concerned, we've got many, many, many clear photographs of Felipe Vidal Santiago, the mercenary, um, in Dealey Plaza with a radio. Yeah, dark complected. Dark complected man. Yeah. Yep. 
Because he, yep. he, he was actually, I mean, people always point to Bill Newman as being the closest witness, but this guy was yeah. in the street with his hand up. I mean, his feet, you know, mere feet. He was closer than Bill Newman to Kennedy when, his, when he got his head blown. That if he's standing in the street, the door of that limousine, the passenger side of that limousine, Rob, could not have been more than 30 inches from his chair or from him. Yeah. It could not have been more than, so we'll, we'll say three feet. It could not have been more than that. You know, Umbrella Man puts his umbrella up. Santiago steps into the street, raises a close, raises his arm, and makes a hard clenched fist, and then the rifle fire starts. Yeah, you know, and then he flashes a victory sign. He sits down on the curb, pulls up pulls a wireless radio out of his back pocket, talks on it. And then disappears. And then he disappears. He's not interviewed by anybody. All those cops in Dealey Plaza, you know, Roger Craig and all the guys on the motorcycles, and nobody gets this guy. And if they, sure everybody gets away. If they got this guy, sure we don't know about it. Never interviewed, never identified, nothing. Now, Goes, here, oh, my Lord, Rob, I didn't tell you. Oh, my God. I hate to do this to you, but this is pretty cool. Speaking of this gentleman, um, somebody out there, Rob, you can do it, or somebody out there needs to just send Rob um, in all the photographs of Dealey Plaza and around the Texas School Book Depository that day. Somebody find a photograph of a 58 Oldsmobile parked on the street, like around the other side of Dealey Plaza. We need to find a photograph of that car, a 58 Oldsmobile. You know why, Rob? Why is that? The car that Lauren Hall drove from Miami back to Dallas to um, to get the trailer load of guns that they had left, um, you know, when they got arrested. Right. That was his car. It was a 58 Oldsmobile. I am told that Lauren Hall uh, was parked around the other side of the depository in his car to spirit part of the shooting team away, allegedly, and that... you. Uh, there are photographs of a 58 Oldsmobile parked on the street. Hmm. Yep. That's what I'm told. Now, you know, I'm not stating uh, that it's absolutely true and um, that um, you should go on forums and say that I said so. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Or, uh, you know, write a negative review of our show over it. But... Um, that is what I am told. But yeah, if you guys can find a '58 Oldsmobile around Dealey Plaza, hook me up. Yeah, send them over. Most Heck definitely. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, look, I think that just about covers enough of what we needed to cover today, Doug. I mean, we got to save a little wow. bit for when, I, for when I come on your show. You know, we got to say something to talk about. That's right, man. We're gonna we we need to do that too. I will block the time out. But I'll tell you what, man, this is the most fun I have had with my clothes on in months. Well, that's good. that's very good to know. <laughs> me too, man. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've missed talking to you on this show. It's been a while since I, you've come on the the Dungum podcast, and. uh I'm glad you just you you uh you decided to to join me today for the for the big celebration. Oh man, I'm I'm honored. Uh, 
you uh, 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 that that was that was okay, man. That was very cool. Um, the, the message you sent me um, when you said there's nobody I'd rather do it with, and uh, man, there's no question. Thank you so much for inviting me because uh, man, we covered uh, we covered everything but uh, LBJ shoe size tonight. Didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, look, we started doing this thing together. This is our brainchild, yep. and and you know, like I said, there's nobody I'd rather do it with than you. And you know, we started it, and and yeah, yeah, we started it, and and you know, we're still going strong two years later. Yep. And it's thanks to you know all the people out there who've done nothing but support us and, and help us along the way. So many, many thanks to you guys out there who are faithful followers, listeners, and subscribers, and sharers, and, you know, idea givers, you know, isn't that right, Doug? I mean, the people, man. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's cool. I mean, there are, there are a few, there are a few bad apples, but, you know, obviously, and, uh, it's not a phenomenon uh, unique to the JFK research community, as I'm finding out. Um, it's, douchebaggery persists everywhere, but, but for the most part, man, um, uh, yeah, yeah, everybody's cool. Everybody, they like to listen and they like to think. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much because we had, uh, Lord, two years ago we had no idea. It was literally like one guy with an iPhone, one guy with a <laughs> tablet, and we downloaded a free app. <laughs> that was it, you know. Yeah, wow. that, that's it. Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody last night. I was explaining how we got started, and I'm like, you know. Did, did, with a phone, literally, with a phone and a tablet, and that's yeah. it. And now, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm recording this shit on Skype, on my laptop, and uh, we got decent recording equipment, and hopefully it sounds good. I'm crossing my fingers. We had some Skype issues before we started recording, and hopefully, hopefully, fingers we crossed, we're still there. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, man, it, I, I I was I was thinking about that the other day too. Or today, actually, you know, because it has been almost two years, and you know, you hit that big, that big uh, one half of a hundred thousand milestone. I was kind of thinking about it today. You know, I was like, wow. I remember when, uh, like, if, um, like me, I, would, I, I the, the the first few, I would always, I could never record them until like after midnight. You know, and, and they were only like, you know, twenty five minutes long. And um, you used to record them on your lunch break, didn't you? You like sit outside and just yeah after work you know, when I got done work I'd sit, yeah after work yeah I'd sit in my work truck and I'd you know I'd hold my hold my phone up to the radio to get music for the show <laughs> what, yeah what, whatever happened to be on the radio that that was my opening and closing song so you know what man for it took um, when we started doing all this and I, and I did it with just a just a, 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 a Android tablet you know yeah at first. Um, but you know, I didn't have Wi-Fi at home. You remember that? Yeah. When we, when we first started, I didn't have Wi-Fi at home, so um, I would I would record like record a show on a Saturday night. Well, I would have to drive eleven miles to park in the uh, public library parking lot <laughs> and use their Wi-Fi to upload my show on Sunday morning, and and that's how I did it for until oh, we got to the conference. Yeah, yeah, I sure did, man. And I didn't have Wi-Fi at home, so you know when I leave work, I would, um, 
you know, like go to the library to check uh, messages for the Dallas action and stuff, you know, jack the Wi-Fi, like get home at 7 at night and stuff like that. It's just kind of crazy. But uh, but that I think that's, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's a, to me it's a cool story because, you know, it was just, Well, yeah, you well, know, it shows your dedication we, to the do? project, you know. You got to do what you got to right. do. Right. <laughs> It, this is, I think, this is what we're doing now. It was kind of originally the plan, you know. Uh, I remember us talking about, um, um, you know, like if we were to figure out how to do one together. At first, it wasn't the plan; wasn't separate, was it? No, we we wanted to do, to do a show together and and you know have it somewhat like this, and have guests on and 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 all this cool crazy stuff that we had planned out and. You know, at the time we were just tech, techni- technologically retarded, and <laughs> exactly, exactly. As opposed to myself, the rest of the time, and you know, many other ways. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just remember thinking it would be cool because uh, I always thought about it as like the afternoon drive time. Uh, if you could do, that was sort of always my vision for the podcast, for like that first one as well. If we could do the. The afternoon drive time roundtable sports kind of vibe, you know, which is just guys sitting around shooting the shit about about a a subject that they're passionate about. Right. Um, Not just informative, you know, but also not, entertaining. Uh, you know, at the same time. Yeah, not so stuffy. Yeah. You know, and because uh, we're not stuffy think, dudes. Uh, we're not. No. no, by no means. You will never see a tweed jacket on either one of us for ever. Instance, Right, right. It, for instance, did you know that entire weekend we were in D.C., I didn't change my socks? <laughs> yeah. That's how damn late that I am, baby. You know? <laughs> Come on, now. <laughs> I had to smell them all weekend. Of course I knew you didn't change your damn socks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know what? All that, they didn't get long, you know, they sweat. All that rode up and down the smoke all the time, you know, that didn't that didn't help things. It probably got a little overheated. Well, you know what? That whole weekend, I didn't take a shower because you stuffed the damn thing up with your long-ass hair the first day we got there. I, I can't help that, man. We had I, a foot I, I of water help. in our bathtub all weekend. And, you know, but it regenerates pretty quick. You know, I, I, uh, uh, my hair, it's actually the source of my superpowers. Uh, <laughs> you know, like Spider-Man's got the spider bite. I've got the, uh, got the hair. Yeah, like Samson. But look, man, I appreciate you coming on. I've had a fun, fun time. Well, how cool is this, man? And you know what, Rob? Yeah. Look, I don't... One more thing. Um, we're, we'll do the two-year anniversary. For sure, drop the two-year Dallas action. But okay. as far as when things are going to let up, um, so I can do my thing regular, I really don't have an answer for anybody. But this was fun. I would be absolutely down for this uh, intermittently until I can get uh, back up and running. I'm telling you, this was a hell of a lot of fun. Hey, well, we can do it, brother. I mean, I got the Skype capability to get other people in on this conversation as well. And oh, man. Everything's real time. So, yeah, man. I mean, in the future, I'll, I'll, I'll drag your ass on here from time to time if you're up for it. Hey, me, you, and Rubenstein would be a hell of a good time for two hours, wouldn't it? Hey, it sounds good to me, brother. We can that definitely would do be that. Black. Have your people call my people. Tell them to have lunch, and then we'll have lunch. <laughs> hey, Chance, write that down in my yeah. notebook. 
Hey, Paco, come here. <laughs> well, Fetzer's assistant is named Chance. So I always bust on him. He's always telling Chance. Oh, no. He's always telling Chance to do stuff, you know, like go to the next slide and, you know, play this sound clip. So yeah, I just I just picture this guy, you know, Chris from from Family Guy. <laughs> <This is the laughs> <system>. Chance. <laughs> That's or, Chance. Hey, what about the what about Hank Azaria, the housekeeper in the birdcage? Yeah, that'll work too. That'll work too. That'll work too, Chance. <laughs> now my assistant is actually my little uh he's my little four foot tall um uh, uh, half, he's my little four foot tall Mexican uh, <laughs> uh, cousin. His name is Paco. There you go. There he you doesn't go. have any arms. Hey, Chance, can you get Gary King some more peanuts, please? <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside wow. joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, Paco, my assistant, my, <laughs> Paco, my assistant, Rob, he doesn't peanuts. Oh, my God. I lost it. I lost it right there. Oh, wow, dude. Man. This dude was like shooting pigeons away from breadcrumbs. It was crazy. <laughs> oh my god! How big were those pockets? Um, every time I saw him come around the corner, Sarah McLaughlin started playing music just everywhere. Hey, worse than a damn squirrel! I swear to God. I know. I kept expecting Charlie Struthers to step out from behind the thing and ask me to give him money or something. I don't. Hey, but he look—he had better equipment than we did. Even he—he he had a, like a twenty-year-old DAT recorder. You know, he was recording everything with. Hey, man. Hey, dude. All I know is I got to interview Ed Tetro and Doug Horn and several other people, and did it with an Android tablet, used the hotel's Wi-Fi, and everybody heard it, and, and everybody that heard it liked it. So that's all I know. Yeah, I think we you held our I mean? own there at that conference. Yep, I haven't heard nothing out of nothing that came out of that conference from him. So we held and our, you know what? They actually, um, I don't, I, I don't think, uh, I think you're right. Uh, we held our own. I think the fact that they edited us into the DVD collection was, was doing our little interviews. That tells me that everything kind of went okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, man, that was rough. <laughs> that was fun, man. That it was fun. was fun. I still have that audio of Doug Horn breaking bad on the, uh, the bus boys. Making noise in the oh, background. Oh wow! Someday I'll play that, that was, for everybody. <laughs> hey, you know what, man? He, uh, I'll tell you one thing about this guy, about about uh, Mr. Horn, and 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 you can attest. People that see, you know, hear him hear him interviewed and and see him interviewed on uh, YouTube, he seems like a very uh, intense, sort of very business like, you know, uh, kind of guy. But that dude is so cool, Doug Horn. Yeah, <laughs> Doug Horn. He's a regular dude. Man, man, and and a football. I, I really, I really enjoyed meeting him down there. But you know, before we go, did I did I tell you about my my assistant? I was telling you about Paco, my assistant. Yes, Paco. Yes. Yeah, my, yeah. He doesn't have any arms. <laughs> Why is that? I, I don't know. I don't have any other kids. He's hey, right. Rob, knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? Not Paco. Not Paco. Who? Well, he doesn't have any arms. How's he going to knock? Oh. <laughs> and you got me there. Okay, we've completely went off the rails now, Rob. Wow. Yeah. Let me save us. Yeah. Folks. Save us.
head over to tlgpodcast.com for all relevant links about things we talked about here today, such as state secret benefits and some other good articles you can read to gain some more knowledge on what we talked about here today. Uh, recommended reading, definitely not the devil's chessboard. Maybe General Walker and the murder of JFK would be uh, a better choice. Um, and that is about it, people. You know, I talked about uh, uh, things at the beginning of the show. It's cool to be now a part of Dark Myth Collective. You can, you can head over to darkmyth.org to find a bunch of other great podcasts. And, of course, the 22 November Network, of course, Neapolis Media Group, still representing here strongly. That's it for this one, people. This some bitch is in the can, beamed up to that satellite in the sky that you can't see. Down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. Jr.'s new guacamole double cheeseburgers only 299 bucks. You forgot the decimal? Only 299 bucks! Not decibel, decimal. The guacamole double cheeseburger is only $2.99 at Carl's Jr. Oops. Available for a limited time. Price of participation may vary. Tax not included. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.